0: Hey everybody, I'm Ashton Demery.
1: And I'm Nicole Demery.
0: And welcome to our Atheist Bible Study.
1: Where you should never revisit your favorite childhood Bible stories.
0: I mean that's that's awkward because that's our entire podcast. Yeah. Yeah, so we're finally getting back to I guess some familiar stories. I feel like Mm -hmm. Joshua was a lot of stuff that either wasn't important or just I guess not like the classic stories, and now we're coming back to some of the ones we've heard before. But like you said, it's not quite what you remember. (laughs)
1: No. (laughs) Should we just jump right into the stories?
0: Yeah, let's jump right into it. We already kind of did, I think, a little summary of what Judges is in the last episode, so we'll, we'll just go for it. Why don't you kick us off?
1: All right. So starting off again, the Israelites are being oppressed by the Midianites for upsetting God and not listening to him. So the Midianites oppress them for seven years. They're forced to live up in the mountains and in caves because every time they try to settle in the land, the Midianites swarm them and destroy their produce and their cattle um, until God sends them a prophet, uh, not necessarily to help, just to remind them that he was the one that led them out of Egypt and that he did all these things for them, yet they still refuse to listen to him and follow him. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you go fuck yourself.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he basically goes to the work of finding a messenger to tell him, yeah, this is your fault.
1: Yeah. So then we get the call of Gideon. So an angel sits underneath a tree and waits for Gideon to come by. Gideon stops by and he is beating some wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. I don't know, that's some kind of euphemism or... (laughs) I thought that was a strange way <laughs> to, set, to set that up. but So the angel appears to him and tells him that the Lord is with him. Gideon, well,
0: he basically catcalls him. He's like, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. The wording of that was very weird to me. Like, it, it is weird felt, because
1: we haven't seen Gideon fight yet, I don't think. Like, I don't think he's been... Doing any sort of battles. Yeah,
0: I don't even think he's a warrior yeah, yet. Yeah, because he seems pretty
1: confused later by the message, too, so.
0: He seems like he's just probably a farmer <laughs> or something, and <laughs> he gets <laughs> he gets talked to you by his angel all of a sudden. The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior.
1: <laughs> um,
0: the other, revi- I don't know why the NRSV went with that wording. Other ones just say mighty warrior, mm-hmm. but this one is you mighty warrior.
1: You, yeah, just that little you makes it a little more intimate. Anyways, yeah, so he, so Angel appears to him, and then Gideon just takes this opportunity to complain to H.R., and he asks them if, like, the Lord is really with them and then why all this bad stuff is happening to them. Um, He's basically just telling the angel how hard things are down there for all of them. So then the angel tells him that God wants him to lead the fight against the Midianites. Uh, Gideon doesn't understand how it's going to be possible since he's a part of the weakest tribe, and he's also... It says the least of his brothers. That means the youngest, right? Normally in the Bible.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: He's like the youngest son. So God assures him that he'll be with him. And Gideon says like, hey, just wait here a second. I need to go see about something. So he, um, he gets some offerings and he brings them back. And the angel tells him to pour the broth out on the ground and put the bread and the meats on the rock. And then the angel sets the bread and the meat on fire and disappears. Kind of like a little, like, magician, I guess. <laughs> and that's good enough for Gideon. So he's like, all right, that's, that's an angel who's on fire and the <laughs> guy's gone.
0: For
1: <laughs> so for now, Gideon yeah, has mean, some more tests <laughs> later.
0: He might be a little more skeptical if he had been born in the age of Chris Angel or something like that. <laughs>
1: yeah. still pretty cool, though.
0: Yeah. He also, he gets scared then because he says, "Uh, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face.
1: Yes. And yeah, I think there's a line and they're talking about how like, if you see God, you die.
0: Right. So, I mean, it goes back to several times where it it says you can't do this, Mm -hmm. where in Exodus, God allows Moses to see him, but not his face, because if you see his face, then you'll die. Mm -hmm. And also, there's other parts that says that Moses, the only one who ever talked to God face to face, basically. And there's there's examples where this this isn't true already. Examples mm-hmm. from Genesis where where he's met with God. And we, we've talked about it a little bit, but basically the Christian response is like, oh, well, the angel of the Lord is different, right? They'll either say he's a separate entity or he's just a physical manifestation that's lesser than his true form.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: some were just like, oh, well, this is Jesus.
1: Yeah. And it's the
0: early manifestations of Jesus before Jesus. Right. I don't know. It's like, if you're really that generous with the text, right? If you like are making up like, well, there's a different, there's like a different Pokemon evolution of God, right? Mm-hmm. That there's like a lower Pokemon evolution where he isn't his full godly power. And so you can look at him and you're safe. Yeah. And then there's a higher one. I mean, if we read every... If you can always find that magical explanation, you can't actually read the Bible critically at all is what you're saying.
1: Yeah.
0: And I also found that there are people trying to explain this stuff much earlier, too. Like There are rabbis who talk about this and kind of come up with these ideas thousands of years ago and... It seems to me if they're thinking about it, before we had atheists coming in here and, and trying to poke holes in this whole argument, mm-hmm. why do we think that the people writing this didn't think about it and feel the need to explain it? Yeah. And so what that tells me is that they didn't see a contradiction because, again, they were write- different people writing it.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So Gideon is a lord's man now. So he's going to do a bunch of stuff to honor him. So he builds an altar. And God tells him to kill his father's seven-year-old bull to take down the ball statue and cut down the pole for Asherah. He's nervous about doing this because he doesn't want to upset anybody, so he does it in the middle of the night.
0: And I I, I was a little confused here because it doesn't track with like Deuteronomy in terms of where you're allowed to make Offerings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's possible this is just a carryover from a time when that wasn't a thing. But yeah, usually this would have to be at the tabernacle. You couldn't just make an offering anywhere. Yeah. Also, did you say he made an offer? He was making an offering to Asherah.
1: No, not an offering. He cuts down. Well, I oh, guess I he, guess cuts, I, down the he cuts down a pole. And I, I, I think I kind of assumed Ashura. it was for Asherah because that's what Got we've it. learned in the past. Okay. Um, I just like saying her name. All right. So he does this in the middle of the night. The townspeople wake up, and Christmas is ruined. It's canceled.
0: <laughs> um, the Grinch got him this no, time. it
1: did remind me of the Grinch, because everybody wakes up and goes,
0: And they didn't ooh.
1: sing. <laughs> yeah, so they're all- They so, got their
0: pitchforks instead.
1: So they're all trying to figure out who did it, and then someone- They uh, figure out that it's Gideon, and they all want to kill him, but Gideon's dad is the leader of the tribe, so he tells the people- That if Baal is offended, then, you know, he can take care of it himself.
0: Which is actually a good point. Yeah. (laughs) It it is. (laughs) If only Christians (laughs) and people who believe this religious text would apply the same thing.
1: (laughs) So, oh yeah. Okay. So then the people start giving Gideon a new name that doesn't really stick. They call him Jerubal. They mention it a couple of times later, but they kind of keep referring to him as Gideon again. The... Israelites reband, so he kind of Gideon calls upon the other tribes to join up with him to fight the Midianites. And I, I vaguely remember I think like a Veggie Tales st- story on this of somebody collecting all the tribes again, trying to get all the tribes together. Yeah,
0: I didn't see this Veggie Tales. I never um, knew about Gideon.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Except it might not like even Gideon be the right one. Because these stories repeat, so it could be a different one. Anyways. So then we get the sign of the fleece, which is a very, very interesting Bible story to me. So Gideon needs more reassurance from God feeling insecure. So he lays some fleece out and he asks that there only be dew on the fleece in the morning and none on the ground. So God does it. It works. And then he's like, hey, God, don't be mad at me, but I'm going to ask for one more sign. So next morning, will you please do the opposite? Will you make the ground wet and no dew on the fleece? And so God does that too. And when I learned that story as like a child, they made like they included in that story like that you're not supposed to do this.
0: Right. I was just (laughs) I mean, that's the thing I'm reading thinking as I read this is like. A whole lot of tests in God going on here. That's what
1: I'm saying. Yeah. I specifically remember, like, whenever I read this story, in, like, so the children's version of it, there was, like, always at the line there, like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't a thing anymore. Like, you can't ask God gotcha <laughs> yeah, to
0: do not anymore. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's really frustrating because, like, when I first read this story, like, I was like, shit, like, that's awesome. Like, we can just go out and prove God's real, like we can go do that. But then there's like all these warnings about how you're not supposed to test God and stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a few stories like this. I know there's another one somewhere later where they're kind of like, it's a battle of the gods. Yeah, right? I don't and, think it says it
1: in this one. Did you read a line in there that said anything like, you can't do this now? In no, this there's story. nothing in here yeah. that
0: says that this this isn't okay. Right. It's It's actually relatively normal in this part of the Bible. For God to show His power, yeah, and to to make shows of it, there is. I I know that we've read somewhere where it, it talked about the Israelites testing God and them sort of getting in trouble for it, but it's certainly not as as much of a, a taboo, yeah. in this part of the Bible. And I I mean, the story for for Christians seems to be like He's already passed all the tests. I'm sorry, it's too bad that. It happened thousands of years before you were born, but he already proved himself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So now that Gideon is feeling more reassured, the Israelites get up early the next morning to go fight the Midianites. So God is looking around at all the men that Gideon has gathered, and he's worried that there's too many of them for anyone to be convinced that God is actually the one who made this defeat happen. So he wants... Gideon to bring a smaller group of men into battle. So, he tells all the people who are scared to go home. So, 22,000 men go back and 10,000 remain. Like, over two-thirds of their army is like, I am a little nervous about this fight. Even though, apparently, they would, like, overpower them with this amount, with this number of people. Right. So, they all go back. This still isn't good enough. So he tells Gideon to take them down to the water and God is going to like sift them out one by one is what it makes it sound like. But he Mm -hmm. has another plan in mind. So he wants Gideon to separate the men by those who drink water like a dog and those who drink it out of their hand. So he's supposed to put like all the men who go down to the water and um, like get down on their knees and drink the water up like a dog to one side and then on the other side all the people who sip it out of their hand. To my surprise, God (laughs) doesn't want the people who drink water out of their hands. He wants the men who drink it like a dog. So surprisingly, there's 300 people who, I guess, got down on their hands and knees to drink out of the river. And those are God's warriors. Those are the people that he wants.
0: They're the ones. So in our version, in RSV, it says, All those who lap with their tongues as a dog laps, you shall put to one side. All those who kneel down to drink, putting their hands to their mouths, you shall put to the other side the number of those that lapped was 300 with all the rest of the troops knelt down to drink water then the lord said to gideon with the 300 that lapped i will deliver you and give the midians into your hand let all the others go to their home so there are basically two interpretations of this the one i, I s- seems to be the most common is that god's basically saying all right, if i can beat them with these freaking weirdos <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: i can I can do anything, uh-huh. right? I'm the real God. Yeah. So he picks them because they're the lesser, mm-hmm. and you know he's been he's been weeding out and making it harder and harder to win.
1: Yeah. And well,
0: so, so okay, the, yeah. The, the these people are, like you said, they're getting everybody's getting down on their knees. It's the only way you can drink out of a river, right? Right. But they're like basically belly down on the ground, sticking yeah, their yeah. face in the water, yeah. right? So the Christian interpreters, a lot of them seem to think that they're trying to associate these people as less intelligent, less civilized than the people who are kneeling down to drink water. And that's why they're chosen. But there's another interpretation, and I th- think it's based on slightly different wording in some of the other versions that says mm-hmm. something about them lapping like a dog with their hands. Okay. So what they think is it's not that they're actually lapping like... a how you would expect a dog to lap up water, uh-huh. they're not even kneeling down, right? Because if, if, the words in here also say all those who knelt down don't keep them, right? Because yeah. the ones who are kneeling down to drink are using, the ones their using their hands. Yeah. But you still have to kneel down or lay down if you're going to lap like a dog. Right. So it, it's kind of weird. So they think that they're actually standing up or kind of like bending over taking a hand and just scooping water really quickly into their mm-hmm. mouth, kind of like a dog laps but with their hand. Okay. So they're real quickly doing it. So by that interpretation, they're actually picking 300 elite soldiers because they won't even kneel down and risk someone sneaking up on them. Mm. They're going to like scoop the water in their mouth and make a big mess if they have to, but they don't want to give up the, you know, potential to get attacked. Mm-hmm. To me, the first one makes sense because it really does seem like the, the the story they're telling is that God's trying to like really put the odds against him. Yeah, but it's interesting that there seems to be that difference in in how this is understood.
1: Yeah, I took it as like you would want these men because they have I don't know like gusto, like they're enthusiastic <laughs> and they don't care what other people think. Like <laughs> maybe a little unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so God is satisfied with his 300 dog-lapping people. He's like, all right, you can attack tonight, and I'll deliver them to you. But if you're too chicken, you can go to their camp tonight with your servant Pura and spy on them. And I promise that'll make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> so Gideon's like, mm, yeah, I'm going to do that one. I'm going to go spy. So him and—I don't know why Pura is mentioned, because like they literally don't do anything for this Yeah, story.
0: I don't know either. They,
1: but they go down together. And they overhear two guards talking. And one of them is doing the most annoying thing in the world. They are telling the other person about a dream that they had. (laughs) (laughs) He's saying that in this dream, he dreamt that a cake of barley bread knocked over a tent in the middle of Midian. And the other guy just so happened to be a dream translator. He tells him, hey, I think your dream is about Gideon, word on the street is he's coming over here and he's going to kick our asses and we're all going to (laughs) die. And they're just like, hmm, dreams, am I right? (laughs) So um, Gideon is uh, obviously excited by this interpretation. He goes back and he hands every one of his 300 dog laughing men a trumpet and a jar with a torch in it. And they go down there, they blow on their trumpets, they smash their jars, and they yell for God and Gideon the Midianites start to run away and then all the tribes of Israel go down to attack them. Um, they capture two of the Midianite captains.
0: I hate these fucking stories. I
1: know. (laughs) The
0: fucking jar and the trumpets.
1: It's just like, who is carrying these? I just want, I just want to know where these trumpets came from. Like who, who is the man carrying 300 trumpets with (laughs) him? And just all this, it's just all a bunch of nonsense. Well, I, I
0: don't know. I, it's just a letdown.
1: Mm. It's like. Oh, you wanted war, not
0: I guess so. Blast? I wanted something interesting other than like.
1: What's more interesting than bringing trumpets and glass jars to war? <laughs> it, well, it's
0: like the third time they've done it where they just like. They're up against an army larger to them. And then they yeah. just yell just out. Make a
1: bunch of noise.
0: For God and his country or something. And yeah. then everybody runs away or they like stomp and do a dance. Yeah. Um, also. <laughs> the fact that Joshua gets God to do like actual magic tricks. And then the thing that finally convinced him is some crazy old man's barley bread dream.
1: Did you, did you say Joshua?
0: Did I say Joshua? You
1: meant I knew you might Gideon. Gideon. Yeah. No, I know it. Well, that whole part is dumb too, because God literally tells him like, you're going to win this fight, go down and take them. But if you're feeling maybe a little unsure, you can go spy on them instead. And Gideon mm-hmm. is like, yeah, I still don't trust you. I'm going to go spy. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I think it would have been a better story if he went and spied on them and they all took their armor off and they're all like, they're like three kids stacked on top of each <laughs> other. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, or, are yeah, or you just... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that version. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, the Midianites are fleeing and being pursued by the Israelite tribes. Orvan and Z get captured and their heads are delivered. To Gideon, And then, uh, after all of this, the Ephraimites are really pissed off at Gideon. Basically, uh, they don't understand why he went up and got all this glory by himself with these 300 men and think that they should have been involved with it too. And he just kind of flatters them, and it's all fine. Yeah. Now, uh, Gideon is pursuing the remaining kings of the Midianites, Zeba and Zalmunna. So he's pursuing them. He comes to Succoth and Penuel, and he asks each of these cities for bread, and both of them tell him no. From what I can tell here, their their point that they're making is that the kings are still alive. You have not captured them yet, and if we help you now, then they're going to kill us. Yeah. They say to him something about, do you already have the hands of uh, Zeba and Zamuna that you're going to demand bread from us? and? Gideon's pissed. He vows vengeance on both of these towns. Right. Which is pretty fucked up because, you know, they're just trying to survive. Yeah. So he he tells the first town, Sakoth, that he'll trample them with briars and thorns. And then he tells Penuel that he's going to tear down their tower. So then Gideon finally reaches Zeba and Zalmunna. They have 15,000 men left of 135,000, which again are, are absurd numbers. <laughs> and he... Catches them off guard, he attacks the army, and Zeba and Zelmuna end up fleeing, and then he uh captures them and defeats their army. So then he's returning and he comes through the ascent of Harry's, uh, where the town of Zakoth is. He does exactly what he says. He gets a boy to give him a whole list of names for all the lords and, and basically powerful people of the the city, and he tells them. Well, here's Zeba and Zalmuna, and you denied me bread before. And then he tramples them with briars and thorns, just like he said. And then he goes and he destroys the Tower of Penuel, kills all the men of Penuel over a little bit of bread, yep. which apparently he didn't need because his army survived and yeah. won. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he tells his son to kill the kings after asking them about the people of Tabor that he killed. And he tells them those were his. His brothers, basically, and that they're going to die for it. So he tells his son to kill him, and his son chickens out, and he kills him himself.
1: Yep. And so then he returns home a hero, and everybody is asking him to be king. And he says, like, no, I'm not going to be king. All of you should serve the Lord. Uh, But then he asks for one gold earring from each of them, and he makes an ephod Which is like a priestly breastplate, a gold breastplate. Yeah, and like all the people basically go to it and worship near it, and it kind of becomes this like symbol of idolatry, basically.
0: Right, and then also they the reason they had all this gold is that uh, they got it from Ishmaelites, which were the people that they were attacking. Right, and apparently Ishmaelites all wear gold earrings. That's like a distinguishing feature of Ishmaelites I guess I feel like this whole line about the like the idolatry and the prostitution to that idol are, are kind of weird because it like seems to lead nowhere it's yeah. like they were starting to set up a thought in which they'd have like a downfall of Gideon and then kind of didn't finish that out because at the end of this they say that the land had rest for 40 years so they don't like immediately get in trouble for this right? it just seems like they're trying to set up like oh actually Gideon you know isn't the greatest of Of judges, and they didn't get to finish that thought somehow. Yeah. Or it got lost somewhere. I don't know which.
1: Right. Because, yeah, because the next, so it mentions that there's, like, peace in the land, and then it starts talking about his sons and his death. So they say that he has 70 sons, because the dude had a lot of concubines, and he dies, and the Israelites return to idolatry. I don't Maybe they're trying to set up that, like... Because he made that thing after he died, the Israelites like heavy go to that now?
0: Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. But yeah, so he has the 70 sons, and then he has one child in Sketchum that's the son of a concubine that he names Abimelech. Yeah. I assume the rest of them are from his wives. They don't really specify.
1: Right. So Abimelech goes to his mother's people and asks them if they would rather have 70 people rule over them or just him. And so, of course, they all say that they would rather just have him rule them, and they agree to follow him. So he kills all of his brothers, except for his youngest brother, because he's hiding out. And I guess because that's also, like, kind of a biblical theme, that the youngest brother Yeah, they always make it somehow. Yeah.
0: Just little weasels.
1: Mm-hmm. So then Abimelech becomes king, And then we get a little parable. The parable of the trees is a story about how all the trees are looking for a king. So first they ask the olive tree and the olive tree says, should I stop producing oil that gods and mortals are honored with to rule over the trees? And so they're like, okay, like, I guess that's like a good point. You're doing important work. They move on to the fig tree. But the fig tree says, should I stop producing delicious fruit just to rule over the trees? So then they ask the vine and the vine says, should I stop producing wine that cheers the mortals and gods just to rule over the trees? And so then finally they go to the brambles and the brambles say, if you are making me king in good faith, then sure. But if not, then let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Which is like a very specific (laughs) Event, (laughs) yeah. What it's weird (laughs) like they took this
0: exact story that already happened, yeah, and then and then they were like, let's make everybody a character like everybody a tree or a plant in this story now, yeah. And this parable is supposed to tell you something about it, even though it's just summarizing the events that already kind of occurred,
1: exactly, yeah. So basically, this story applies to Abimelech and how people need to be making him king out of good faith. Oh, and then it's mentioned that his youngest brother who escaped flees to beer.
0: Yeah, so the, this whole st- parable gets told by Jotham, who's standing on top of Mount Gerizim and just kind of yelling this out mm. to the city of Sketcham. As they do. Yeah, as people do, I guess. Um, and it's weird, too, because he says, he knows that Abimelech killed all his like brothers and stuff, and then he says... I, if I say you have acted in good faith and honor with Jerubal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him rejoice in you. So basically saying like, if you killed my siblings in good faith, yeah, then good for you. But I don't know what version of this could have been in good faith. Right. It doesn't really make a lot of sense Mm-mm. to me. All right. So after about three years, God goes and kind of puts like evil spirits in the minds of The lords of Skechem, and they all conspire against Abimelech. They start building up this guy, Gal, son of Ebed. Uh, He's just kind of a powerful person in the city. He starts ridiculing Abimelech behind his back, and Zabul hears him. So Zabul tells Abimelech, and Abimelech decides he's going to ambush this guy. So he waits outside the city. Zabul tricks him and has him come out, and he's defeated and flees by. Abimelech's army. Then uh, Abimelech goes and just starts slaughtering the people of the city while they're out in the fields working. And then he goes in and destroys the whole city. And the lords, knowing what's awaiting them, hide themselves up in a tower at Elbereth. And Abimelech goes and burns the tower down. Uh, so then Abimelech moves on and decides to take the Bez next. And this part was like it's confusing to me because Bez just felt like it came out of nowhere. They hadn't talked about it yet. Yeah. So I don't know why specifically he's attacking the Bez, other than that maybe they were a part of this revolt in some way too. <laughs> um, but it's not really explicitly covered anywhere. So he goes on, he attacks the Bez, and those people shut themselves up in a tower as well. And he comes to use the same trick of burning down the tower. But this time there's a woman up at the top of the tower. She picks up a stone and she drops it out of the tower. And it hits him on the head. And as he's bleeding out, he asks his little caddy boy that carries his armor to stab him so he won't bear the great shame of being killed by a woman. It would be much more shameful than killing all of your brothers and sisters. Yeah,
1: I know. Abimelech's like <laughs> or, a woman. Weird... I guess all his
0: brothers. I don't think it said anything about sisters.
1: Right. Yeah. Abimelech is strange. There's some parts where it's an honorable thing or like a cool thing that he killed his whole family to become King, and then there's other parts of it where it's like, no, God didn't like that. That's why he turns the lords against him. But then Abimelech still conquers the lords. So I don't know if the lords were just meant as like some kind of small punishment, so it wasn't like that bad that he killed his whole family. Right? Um, it, yeah, it, it's just kind of like a weird. You don't really get a good sense if you're supposed to like like Abimelech or not. I mean, he doesn't end up ruling for very long, so he's like definitely not a super powerful judge. Like he only rules for three
0: years. Right. I feel like there's a lot of stories kind of in Judges here where the story doesn't feel like it fits to any overarching narrative. Yeah. In a way that most of the rest of the Old Testament has felt like it somewhat does. Mm-hmm. It makes me think that it came from somewhere else. Like like I, we talked about before, there were probably a lot of these like legends that they were just kind of picking up and putting in here. Yeah. It feels like that to me because in most of the stories, we know exactly who the villains and heroes are. Usually they have like some Canaanite or some outsider, right? A foreigner they're setting up as... They're the clear villain and they're telling you something by them being villainous. Like, hey, these people are bad. Mm -hmm. But Abimelech is kind of like one of them. Yeah. Except that his mom's a concubine. So maybe that there's there's something to that with like placing him separate from the rest of the siblings. But there's not a clear narrative of what are the Israelites supposed to take from this as far as who they should be concerned with and not, or who, th- who the what they should do and what they should not do. It's not really explicit.
1: Yeah. So anyway, so then he dies. They're all oppressed again by the Ammonites. And then we get Jephthah. So, so there's, there's also Kippen? Tola
0: and Jer, but they didn't really do anything. Oh, there's sorry. like two more judges that were just another judge, I guess.
1: Yeah. So Jephthah's father is Gilead who has a wife and some sons, but he also slept with a prostitute at one point and she gave him a son, which is Jephthah. So Jephthah's brothers uh, drive him away because they, you know, probably don't like the fact that his, that he's from a prostitute.
0: Yeah. It felt like a little bit of a Joseph story too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then he like becomes an outlaw and the people come back to him at some point point. And they want him to lead them in battle, which he, like, doesn't want to do, but he sort of reluctantly agrees to do anyways. They try to pass through some towns, but the towns say no, so they just go around those towns. And then Sihan is worried about Israel, so they attack them, and the Israelites defeat them. So kind of a similar pattern that we've seen before, where they, like, try to go through towns, get rejected, and then... One town attacks, giving them a good reason to like defeat them, basically.
0: Right. And then there's this whole argument that takes place too between like Jephthah and the Ammonite kings, where they're like, hey, you took our land and that's why we're Mm
1: -hmm. doing
0: this. And then Jephthah tells him this other story that doesn't seem to check out really, where he says, oh, look, well, the Israelites asked to pass through Edom and Moab and they were told no and they didn't bother anybody. And Then they were attacked by Sion, and then that's how they gained the land of the Amorites. And that's the only land they took. But if you look at Joshua, it says specifically that half the land of the Ammonites was given to Gad. So the idea that they didn't take any Ammonite land is just not true according to the Bible.
1: Yeah. But then we get some juicy stuff. We have Jephthah's vow. So Jephthah basically prays a god and kind of sets up, like, a little bargain with him and says, like, if you let me defeat the Ammonites, then I will sacrifice whoever stepped through the door of my house. And so God, I guess, helps them defeat the Ammonites. And when they come home, lo and behold, someone Jephthah loves steps through the doors. Um, and It's his daughter. And he becomes, like, super upset because, you know, now he has to kill her. Which I'm not sure what his plan, like who he was thinking would step through the door that he wouldn't be upset about
0: yeah. having
1: to sacrifice because like, he you must know. Have been,
0: he must have had somebody.
1: Like. <laughs> somebody in the
0: hole that he was.
1: Some maid or something. That somebody that
0: really pissed him off. He's like, oh, they're going to come they'll through. will come first.
1: But yeah, no, it's his daughter who is super excited to greet him. She runs through and he, you know, tells her like, hey, sweetie, I kind of promised that I would kill whoever stepped to the door first. And that means I have to kill you. And she's like, bummer. But also, since I'm a virgin, can I go dance in the woods for a couple of months with my friends? (laughs) (laughs) That's what she does. And then that becomes like a tradition.
0: A tradition for who?
1: For virgins. Oh, for virgins.
0: Yeah. So they created the first coven, is what you're telling me.
1: Maybe. (laughs) So then we have some more intertribal dissension. So once again, Ephraim is mad because they didn't get to fight the Ammonites. And so now they're going to fight Jephthah and Gilead. But they defeat Ephraim, and then they took the fords of the Jordan. Uh, So if anybody wanted to cross the Jordan, they would first ask them if they were an Ephraimite. And if they said... No, they could cross. Yes, they couldn't cross, but then they would also ask them to say Shibboleth because Ephraimites can't pronounce it, and if they (laughs) attempt it and can't pronounce it, then they would kill them. Nice. Yeah, that's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then Jephthah dies and is buried in Gilead. Then we have Ibzan, Elon, and Abdun. Basically, they're judges. They ruled, and then they died. Nothing really, like, specific there happens with them. Then, finally, get to talk about Samson. Yep. So, I think it was in our About Us episode where I talked about Samson a little bit because growing up, that was one of my favorite stories. I had a picture Bible, which is, like, a comic book Bible, and I read the entire thing. Samson and Delilah was my favorite story. And basically, the way they tell that story is, like... Samson is this, like, awesome, himbo-type hero who's got, like, gets his powers from having super long hair. And his wife, Delilah, is this, like, gorgeous but very, like, conniving and evil woman who is his downfall because he just loves her so much and he trusts her so much with all of his secrets and she uses them against them and eventually to his demise. So that's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of the that's a story that I had in my head going into this. And that is like, not at all how this story unfolds. Yeah.
0: I feel like, so I feel like it's one of those stories that like, there's kind of a handful of stories that are popular as far as being told to children. Mm-hmm. Like they, they tend to put them in those like mo- little Bible movies and like stuff like that. Yeah. They like seem fun for kids, but there was definitely a lot of, redaction in what they... I mean, the the story is much simpler as they tell it than, like, like there are multiple phases in Samson's development here that are very different.
1: Yeah. All right, let's get into it. So, first, an angel appears to a barren woman and tells her that she's going to have a son. Classic Bible setup. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. She's told to avoid wine and strong drink and also never to cut his hair because he will be a Nazarite. And... That's just a fancy word for, like, one consecrated. So, like, a a special one.
0: Yeah, we talked about them before. Oh, yes, you're right. It doesn't mention it here, but they also were supposed to be, like, bodies were supposed to be shaved, too, if I remember Mm. right.
1: So then she goes and she tells her husband, and he prays to God that he also gets to meet this angel uh, because he wants to know what the boy's life is, or because he wants to know what the boy is going to do in life. I guess like his wife tells him like we're gonna have a special boy and he's like yeah, I want to know how special. <laughs> <laughs> so the angel does appear again but only to the wife so then the wife has to leave and go get her husband and bring him to the angel. So just like it doesn't seem very angel-like for him to show up at a time where the wife is alone again.
0: Yeah I mean honestly to me this whole story sounded like
1: an opportunist is <laughs> coming along.
0: Yeah, it sounded to me like the man was not, was not able to conceive mm-hmm. in his wife. And she meets a handsome stranger and it's like, it's an angel. This
1: guy says he can get me pregnant.
0: <laughs> There's an angel. Yeah. <laughs> he is going to get me pregnant. Yeah. And then he does.
1: So then the the man asks his questions and the angel basically just repeats himself. He says the same thing. Um, that he said before about the strong drink and the not cutting the hair. And so then Manoah, which is the husband, invites the angel to dinner, which, again, makes me believe that this is not really an angel because you don't just, like, meet an angel and then invite them to dinner. Yeah. So the angel says that, like, yeah, I'm not going to join you for dinner, but you can just make me an offering. So then Manoah asks for his name so they can, you know, make the offering in his name. And the angel says, like, oh, my name is too wonderful for you to hear. So, like, don't worry about that part. So then they make the offering, and then the angel disappears, and Samson is born.
0: So yeah. The, so then it says that they're afraid because they realize, well, if his name was too wonderful for us to hear, this must have been God himself. Again, we've talked about the aspect of whether or not God visits with anybody except for Moses or anybody at all, for that matter.
1: Yeah. Samson grows up. And he visits a place called Timnah, and he sees a Philistine woman and he goes back to his parents and he asks them to, you know, get her to be his wife because he was like so pleased with her. So they try to talk him out of it. They want him to marry one of their own, not some, not someone from an uncut Philistine. Um, and he says like, no, I definitely want this one, like please go get her for me. She pleases me. And they like specifically have this line in there that she pleases him.
0: <laughs> I just think that's such a strange like way to sell a girl to your parents. Like she really does it for me guys. Like, <laughs> yeah.
1: In any other book, I think I would find this kind of thing, like maybe a little romantic, like, you know, sees the girl and she's like, that's the one that I want. Uh-huh. Like that's the wife that I want, but it only gets, it gets much worse from here. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, so, this is where like Samson's story really turns into a fucking mess.
1: Yeah. So they go the parents, you know, like agree, they're gonna do it for him. He's, you know, their special miracle baby. So they go back to Timnah, they get this woman to be Samson's wife, and while they're out there, Samson is like wandering in a field by himself and he sees a young lion who roars at him. So he tears the lion in half. So Samson is now out here murdering Baby lions.
0: Yeah. Well, it says he tears it apart with his bare hands as he would a kid.
1: Who, (laughs) yeah, who does that? (laughs) I don't know.
0: Like, who is when you are butchering a goat, who does it with their bare hands? Yeah. Just rips it in half. Yeah.
1: So after killing this young lion, he meets up with the woman he's supposed to marry. And it says that she pleased him. So I don't know if that means like, met up and he's like yep still like this one this is still like a go or we're talking about like a handy or something like that. <laughs> something like that
0: yeah um, uh, i think the in the bible it just means like, a handy blowing. <laughs> <yeah>, definitely yeah
1: <laughs> so then he leaves and he returns again later to marry her this time on i think this is yeah on his way back for marrying he- her he sees the lion carcass again and this time there is a swarm of bees in it with some honey. So he scoops up the honey as a snack for his way back. And then when he returns, he gives some to his parents. But he like doesn't explain, you know, where he got the honey or anything. It was like, again, just absolute manic behavior. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. just <laughs> Pulling some, scooping some honey out of a lion's carcass. Like we need the fucking poo.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fast forward, Samson, his parents, his wife, and 30 Philistines, they're now all having dinner together. And Samson decides to give everybody a riddle, and he promises a prize if they get it right. So basically, he says, like, you know, if you answer this riddle, then all of you have to give me...
0: Fine garments. Fine garments. 30 of them.
1: Yeah. And then if, if you get it right, then, you know, I'll give all of you fine garments. So this is his riddle. He says... Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Obviously, no one fucking gets it. Because (laughs) (laughs) it's like one thing that Samson saw. It's not like a normal thing. Yeah, it's
0: not how fucking riddles work. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, yeah. This one's like so insane to me. Because like, I don't know if the Bible thinks this is how riddles work. Or what it is. But you can't. The whole point of riddles is it's like. Somebody hears the answer and is like, "Oh, yeah, yeah exactly." It's, like, it's something everybody knows, and it's just like they're not quite getting what your what the like wordplay is exactly. But this is just something he saw. It's like, <laughs> it's like in uh, the Hobbit, where like he asks the "What's in my pocket?" riddle. Yeah, it's just like how the fuck am Smegel I supposed to know? The fuck yeah, out <laughs> <laughs> for a good reason.
1: Yeah, He gives them this impossible riddle, and no one gets it. So they threaten Samson's wife and tell her that you know if, like if you don't figure out what this fucking riddle is, then we're gonna burn down. We're gonna burn down your father's house.
0: Apparently, some other commentators you know, throughout history have like struggled with the idea of Samson asking this clearly unfair riddle and why, like, why he did this, and then also what this has to do with anything with the the lion and the bees or the yeah. Honey have to do with absolutely anything at all as far as, like, making a point in a religious context. Right. And so they really haven't come to many conclusions about it, but there are, like, theories that at one point there may have been an independent, like, answer to this riddle that was unrelated to the lion and the the honey Mm. story, but there was, like, an actual independent answer to the riddle that he asked. Okay. And then the the lion and the honey thing were just added later to play into this as like a a separate story. Okay. And then one of the, there has been at least one commentator that has suggested that the answer to this might be related to semen (laughs) 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 because it's like, uh, out of, out of the eater, something to eat out of the. Oh my God. What, what out, of, out of the strong something sweet, <laughs> and so he it has been suggested that this might refer to semen.
1: I hate that, <laughs> but also kind of like it. No, I mostly hate it. Yeah. So she goes to Samson and she like begs Samson to tell her, and he says, um, "Hey, like I haven't even told my mom and my dad this, so I'm sure as hell not going to tell my wife what the answer is." Uh, but eventually, he does because she nags him. Okay, this is the Bible's words. It says that she nags him, like, so much (laughs) that he's finally just like, God, shut up, and uh, explains it to her.
0: Yeah. I really wonder if that's where, like, the phrase nag in that context got popularized.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that the author would, like, write into the story. They, like, say that, like, hey, she's being threatened. Like, her family Mm -hmm. is at stake here. But you're still going to use the word... Nag for her, like trying to get the answer out of him. Like they still kind of set her up as like some <laughs> yeah. annoying.
0: I, I I think that the word nag has a different like a different Maybe connotation. A different, yeah, now. I see what you're saying. It has more of like a you know just a silly housewife being like yeah. annoying. And I think that like the the essential like definition was still there. That like he was kind of she was kind of hounding him, but. I think that it wasn't meant to be, like, a about something silly, but she was, like, really pushing again and again and again and again. Yeah. Tell me.
1: So, anyway, so she explains it to her people, who then, like, now know the answer, and they, you know, give the answer to Samson, to which he says something that, again, I don't know if this is, like, maybe this wasn't that, <laughs> this was cool to say then, but he <laughs> tells them, um, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. <laughs>
0: I think this one's hard to, like, not see as, like, a, a very clear, like, attack. misogyny. yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like, if you had any questions about the Bible being misogynistic, like, this, this is kind of your answer here. Yeah. Although I don't think plowed would have had the sexual connotation that it kind of does now. Yeah. I think it was it was actually meant to, like, think of it like a farmer plowing with a, like,
1: Like using her as like a like a
0: like a I guess it'd be like an ox or something that we we would plow with, but like the analogy of like a woman to a farm animal is pretty. It's pretty clear what they yes where where they where they see her value yes.
1: (laughs) Anyways, so then, God, so then uh, Samson I guess doesn't have these like amount of goods to give out, so he kills thirty different Philistines and he gives their goods to the men. And then he gives his wife to his friend. So, like at this point, when I was reading it, I was very confused because, like, when I read this story, I'm pretty sure this part was also Delilah. Like, there is no other wife in the Picture Bible. It's yeah, just I don't Samson this in
0: the story. In
1: Delilah. Yeah. So this is completely separate.
0: I'm so pretty sure he. Uh, we'll get to it, but I don't think he ever marries Delilah. But. So like it's like you said, he kills 30 people in Ashkelon, a Philistine city. Um, it says before that that God possesses him and he goes and kills these people mm-hmm. and then takes the garments back. And then I thought the same thing as, as you did, that he, he passes off his wife to his friend intentionally. Mm-hmm. But when I it get, that part gets kind of confusing later in the story. And then when I went back and read it, it's that he just kind of like leaves his wife, like is mm-hmm. no longer... Visiting her or paying attention to her. She's living in her father's house. Yeah. And then she is passed off to his friend by, by his, her father.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. So just like in summation, the story is Guy just like picks some woman off the streets, uh, is a dick to her people, then kills some, some of her people after like those people threaten her life. Um, and then he just kind of like throws her to the side.
0: Yeah, like, I, I mean, I think a more like he marries this woman and then dicks around with her people, like by basically kind of like taunting them and like giving them this unfair riddle, yeah, that can't be answered in exchange for like you know, he basically gambles and cheats against her people, right.
1: and then he they cheats again, her, right? Because he
0: can't they threaten her, she's forced to to help them, and then. He fucking cast her aside for just trying to protect her family and then kills a bunch of their people because he lost the fucking riddle that he was cheating at in the first place. Right.
1: This me- next part, I kind of imagine Samson like being drunk for that. So i just put you in that mindset. So <laughs> Samson brings a goat to his ex-wife's house and asks to see, quote, his wife and her father will not allow him because she's with Samson's friend now, which I know Ashton already explained that basically he just wasn't seeing her. Yeah, But yeah, so she's not really with him anymore and he just kind of shows up out of nowhere and is like debating to see her again.
0: Yeah, he's like, you know, you're mine whenever I want you to be, it, yeah. but I'm going to ignore you most of the time.
1: Yeah. So her father, you know, won't allow him because she's with his friend. And so he, instead he offers his younger daughter and says that she's prettier anyways. <laughs> yeah. Samson is pissed and says that what he does next he can't be blamed for because he's like just so enraged by this. So he ties oh god it's, it just it, it's like such like frat boy drunk behavior. He ties torches to a bunch of foxes' tails and then releases them into their fields. So, like, base, all their fields burned down. But, yeah. you know, he's like that guy on the 4th of July tying firecrackers to cat's tails. Like, he's just, like, right. an absolute maniac. The People wake up, and they're like, who did this? And then they're like, it was Samson, because that man wouldn't let him see his wife. So Then they kill her and her father by burning them. And then yeah. Samson is mad by this. <laughs> um, and so then he slaughters and kills a bunch of Philistines. So the Philistines are like fed up with Samson, who is now in Judah. They ask for him. He's given over to them, all bound up. He breaks out of his bindings and he kills everybody with a donkey jaw and then asks for a drink. And the Lord gives him one. She's like, all that murdering made me real thirsty, God. It'd be nice <laughs> if I had a stream over here or something.
0: Yeah. And before that, he's standing alone in the desert, surrounded by bodies. Hundreds to thousands of them, and he decides to just make up a little poem about what he sees around him and and what he's done, and says says it aloud to himself. <laughs> <laughs> so the the guy's clearly unhinged. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think again, it's like important to kind of summarize the 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 path that we we took to get here. Yeah, of him basically conning a town, putting his wife in a terrible situation, mm-hmm. and then when she. Has to act on that. Casting her aside and then expecting her to be waiting for him. Then getting angry about that. Yeah. Killing. No, first. Burning down the grain stores of an entire town that relies on that grain stores to survive. And then that people blame, not Samson, but apparently his His. wife and father-in-law. Yeah. Kill them. And then he slaughters all of them for punishing the people he was trying to punish in the first place uh-huh. and burning everything down.
1: Yeah. I mean, he didn't want them dead. He just wanted to shake them up. A <laughs> he little just bit. wanted
0: to, to ruin the livelihoods of everybody in their community. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that, you know, commentators and Christians kind of have to face with this is like, how is Samson the hero of this story? Yeah. And the standard response is pretty much, they were Philistines, so they deserved it. Yeah. Which is like, kind of the classic one. Some of them try to like uh I guess deflect Samson away from God and like kind of act as if like this is all Samson, right? He's a flawed hero is mm-hmm. like you know one of the
1: Like what they like, do with Christians David. like that idea yeah. you know
0: sometimes. And so it's like this is just like when it says, you know, God possessed him, that's really just like Samson being like filled with rage and letting his his own like machismo control him. Instead of, like, following the will of God. But but none of that ever, ever is in here, right? He's The Israelites wanted to separate themselves from Samson. They really could have done that, and they never do. They There's no admonishment of Samson. Samson's doing what Samson does, and he's winning, right? Which, mm-hmm. as far as anyone can tell, is, is God condoning what he's doing. Yeah. And he's still chosen. He still is the Nazarite with the long hair and the superpowers. Exactly. And he gets to judge for another 20 years.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so then we get a story about how Samson goes to Gaza, and he sleeps with a prostitute. And then the people hear that Samson is there with a prostitute. And so their plan is to kind of just, like, wait around to kill him. But he ends up waking up at midnight instead of the next morning. Okay, so he gets up at midnight, and then he moves the city gates with him.
0: Yeah. Uh Yeah. it never explains why. No, yeah. He Just moves the gates up the hill
1: again. I just imagine him drunk, like you know, he slept with a prostitute, just well, wakes up dazed and confused, and it's just like, let's stretch this town out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Also, like, like, what is this trying to say about Samson when it's like, I don't know, like they couldn't catch him because he left early. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's too much a man to stay all night with a woman. <laughs> he gets that shit and rolls. You know, like I know I. <laughs> Okay.
1: After sleeping with a prostitute, Samson goes back to his old ways of immediately falling in love with women that he sees. Um, this time, it's it actually is Delilah. So there isn't any mention of them getting married, and there isn't any mention that Delilah has any sort of feelings towards Samson, but it just says, like, Samson falls in love with Delilah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's just assumed, like, who could not love no, Samson, Samson,
1: right? Yeah, long hair and strength.
0: Yeah, also, I think it's, like, Something about Delilah that's never really mentioned is like what her, like where she comes from and what like, I think you're meant to assume. I think that the. I think that whoever wrote this wants you to assume that she's either a Philistine or she's an outsider of some sort, right? She's right, not an Israelite, but it doesn't explicitly say that to my knowledge, except that she was from outside of his town.
1: Yeah, he meets her in like an in a town, so I think it's, yeah, yeah, it's just so. They have like a relationship going and so the Lords of Philistine approach Delilah and they ask her to figure out Samson's secret to his strength and then they offer her some money if she can do it. So she starts asking him what his weakness is basically and he tells her that if he's tied up with fresh bowstrings, that he'll be like any other man. So like while he's sleeping she ties him up and then she acts like they're being attacked and he immediately breaks out of the bowstrings. And she realizes that he lied to her, wasn't really telling her the truth. So then she asks them again. And then this time he tells her that it knew rope. So like fresh rope is his weakness. So they like do it again. She ties him up. He acts like they're being attacked. He breaks out of it immediately. And then he does it. Third time. And this time he tells her that his hair needs to be tied up with like a pin. So she does that, goes through the whole fake attack thing again.
0: Yeah, I couldn't really make sense of what they were exactly saying happened here. It says something about tying it into the web, and I don't know what web that was. Well,
1: yeah, and it made it sound like he has, like, only seven hairs. (laughs) 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 I think, I I don't know, maybe he has, like, braids or something?
0: Yeah, I think you're just supposed to understand that they they braid up his hair in some fashion and tie it with a pin. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and so he does that, and then... He just he when she does the fake, you know, wolf cry, then he just takes his hair down, which that one's weird because the other ones is obvious that he still has his strength because he's tied up and then breaks out of it. And this one is just yeah. like he just like lets his hair down and it's like, oh OK, he didn't lose his strength. Right. <laughs> I mean, any man can take his hair down. But yeah, now she's grown pretty frustrated with him. And she starts telling him, if you love me, why aren't you telling me what your secret is? Like, you say you're in love with me, but clearly you're not. because You keep lying to me. Yeah. Um, and then there's a line in there about how she nags him to death. And so then, like, he finally tells her what his secret is. And it's his hair. So when he falls asleep in her lap, cuts his hair. And then um, the Philistine men, who have been there this whole time, every time she does her little, oh, the Philistines are coming. This time she does it. And they're actually able to like tie him up and capture. him. So they take him back to the Philistine lords, and he's basically just uses like a monkey, using for entertainment and stuff. I don't really know what they have him doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, they also they gouge out his eyes. Oh too, yes, yeah. But then they go ahead and let they they don't keep cutting his hair. Yeah. So they've verified that the hair is the source of his strength, and I suppose it could be that once it's cut, it's cut, and it never regain strength again. but Like Rapunzel. I just can't imagine you would take your chances again. Yeah. But they just go ahead and let it happen.
1: Yeah. So his hair grows back while he's like entertaining the Philistine people and then he asks for somebody to help him like prop him up against a pillar or something and then he's like hey lord this one's for you and he pushes the pillars down and so like kills everybody who's in the house and then there's a line in there that says he killed like, more people in this event than during his whole entire life. As we know, he's killed a lot of people.
0: Right, like entire towns. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, took out a lot of people at uh, whatever entertainment <laughs> event he was doing. He dies with them, and he judged for 20 years. Yeah. In the picture Bible version, it's like he has to pray to God again to get his strength back. He's like, hey, sorry, I cut my hair. Please give me my strength mm. back for this one last time? Kills them. I shed a single tear because I love Samson, but not anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Didn't
1: cry this time.
0: Not, yeah, not a great guy. So yeah, looking at it here, it, it does also mention him praying for his strength back, uh, just like in your picture Bible. But it also tells you at the end of the last section, I guess, that the they let him grow his hair again after it had been shaved. Yeah. So... I think you're meant to assume from that that the hair growing back gave him strength again. But I think maybe there's like, you know, a difference in authors here of what they were trying, what story they were trying to tell that that he had made a mistake and he's praying for his strength back. is kind of one version. And then the other one was trying to tell the story that him growing his hair back gave him the strength again.
1: Yeah. And so that's the end of a Samson story.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what do you feel like are kind of the takeaways from this story? Like, what are we meant to get out of this?
1: that if you're chosen by God, you can do whatever the fuck you want I,
0: that I think is definitely part of it, and that's like the story of every judge and every every main patriarch, yeah, it seems like,
1: and then also, like what you were saying, any what you were saying earlier is like any dead philistine is like better than an alive philistine does it matter uh why you chose to kill them or in what manner you killed them just like their lives don't matter to god
0: right exactly yeah and if you if you wrong a philistine and they respond to it that's a good reason to go ahead and kill them we're looking for any excuse we can god will go and twist their minds or you can go and trick them into doing something any way you can to find an excuse go ahead and kill them As far as, like, the Samson and Delilah story specifically, uh, I was trying to look at, like, what the the meaning of this is supposed to be other than just, like, a story. And it seems like the big focus is, for Christians, seems to be, like, the extramarital aspects of Delilah, that kind of being a source of, like, a a tripping stone for for Samson and, and leading him to making stupid decisions and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and then they also talk about like we were saying before that she appears to not be an israelite right and that's part of the story they're telling is this likely non-israelite woman right samson has a thing for hanging out with non-israelite women and they tend to lead him astray yeah like what they're it seems to me they're trying to say
1: yeah yeah both of both of the women are like demonized and like I think you feel a little bit more for the first woman because, you know, her life is threatened in this scenario, right. whereas, like, Delilah is, like, offered just, like, a large sum of money, but um, yeah, either way, I don't really care. I think they're unjustly <laughs> yeah, <laughs> villainized.
0: I think, I think the extramarital part of it is definitely more of a, a Christian reinterpretation. I don't think that would have had any real meaning to them at this time because a lot of these men had concubines, and I don't think that was seen as a real problem to have these extramarital relationships yeah. among the Israelites. I think that's more of a Christian thing. And then I think that really it's almost a problem for the Israelite that he likes her this much.
1: Like, Yeah.
0: It's more of just like a you, you shouldn't really take her kind of seriously outside the bedroom. Yeah. I think is where they stand on is it. like the fact that he like took counsel from her and let her tell him what, he needed to tell her mm-hmm. was part of the problem for the, for the, for the writers, I think. Anyways, that's the end of Samson and Delilah, I guess.
1: All right. So next we have Micah and the Levite. So Micah has like apparently stolen 1100 pieces of silver from his parents. And like this story starts with him returning that money back to his mother. So she blesses the money, and she turns, like, 200 of it into an idol, and then Michael goes ahead and builds, like, a little shrine with this idol. He puts, like, an ephod there and some other things, and originally, he has his son as a priest for it, but then a Levite man comes along, and he makes that guy his priest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This one's another one that's weird to me because it seems like they're setting up Micah as the protagonist. Yeah. Right? But he makes this idol and it's like, I mean, is that okay? Right. Um, and there's another one where it seems to be carried over from a time in which the, the centralized church didn't exist. Because he's doing all of this away from the temple and it seems to be acceptable as far as the writers are concerned.
1: Yeah. And they also keep mentioning that there isn't a king at this time. So there's like a line that gets repeated over like these next couple of stories. And it's like, there is no king over Israel. Everyone is just doing what they think is best
0: right now. Right. And then that's that's another one that it seems to me that it's coming from a, like a post-monarchical like, time period. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, look at what things were like before there right. was a king. Uh, but it, it could maybe also be interpreted as as a anti-monarchy statement of, you know, people just did what was right Mm -hmm. before we had a monarch.
1: Yeah. Okay. So then we like go over to the Danites who apparently didn't get any land when they were divvying things up. So they send out five spies to go and look for some land to settle. And one of them ends up passing through Micah's home and, uh, notices that he has like a Levite priest in his makeshift temple. And so he asks the priest if their mission is blessed by God, and they're basically told that yeah, it is. Like, go ahead, God is gonna find some land for you. Yeah. So then they go to Leish, and they find that Leish is quiet, unsuspecting, lacking nothing on earth, and possessing wealth. And they're like, "That's gonna be mine."
0: Yeah, and I, they're they're pretty clear that the people there don't look like they're really set up to defend themselves.
1: Yeah, that's made very clear. Yeah, it just they describe it as like a nice, peaceful, quiet town where everybody is like doing just fine and yep. they're like, all right, sweet, it's right for the taking. But I mean, this is what God wants. So they gather <laughs> 600 men and they are making their way back to Leish to take it, but they make a pit stop at Micah's house. And then the next events are kind of weird, so they end up, they, at first they want to take the idol and then they decide to go ahead and take the priest with them as well. And it says that he willingly goes, but it also kind of reads like he gets kidnapped. Right. Because they tell him to, like, cover his mouth and to just, like, <laughs> come with them. And then uh, and then Micah comes out, you know, shaking his fist at them because they're stealing his priest and his idols and stuff. Yep. And then he realizes, like, well, yeah, I can't really do anything because you guys have like a whole army with you and I'm just one guy. <laughs> right. Uh, so he just lets them go and they go on their way. Yeah. And then the next part of that story is just they, they go to Leish, they burn it down, they build it back up, and then they rename
0: it Dan. They keep the idol and the priest. Yeah. <laughs> around and there's never like a, I don't know, a consequence, I guess, like is what I was looking yeah. for like a punchline in this story. And there wasn't a punchline. And I don't really know who the heroes and the villains of this story are exactly. Right. Like,
1: like is Micah at fault? Like what you were saying for setting up an idol, but
0: then the Danites take it and set it up for themselves. Yeah. And then are yeah are we are we are the Danites the villains? I mean, that's as a modern interpreter, like like looking at it now, I clearly think the Danites are the villains, but I yeah I don't know if that's what the writers thought. And it's one of these stories and judges that seems to go nowhere exactly
1: yeah i feel like the only like thread in it is if there's a levite priest involved that's god's work right but then we go to another i don't know if this is the same levite or a different levite they don't have names we go to another levite man and this one has a concubine which i didn't think was okay for levites to have
0: i don't remember anything forbidding it really
1: yeah I guess they are like they're just like helpers, or they used to be helpers to the priests. I don't really know what they're doing these days. I guess they they can have concubines now. Yeah, so he has a concubine, but she's mad at him, so she goes back to her father's place. And then we get this like whole sequence of events where he's he's going to her, her father's place to apologize to her, and then he keeps trying to leave with her, but her father keeps convincing him to stay he keeps like staying another night and then eventually he gets tired of it and he like stays for the whole day again and the father is like well why don't you just stay another night and he's like no i'm gonna leave for real this time <laughs> so he takes his concubine and his donkeys and his servants and they head out and his servant is like all right like why don't we find some place to stay you know locally and he's like no i don't want to be here because these are all foreigners so like, let's go ahead to Gibeah, where we actually, where they're supposed to be like Israelites,
0: right? Foreigners who are already inhabiting the land that you're taking. Yeah, <laughs> the, <laughs> the foreigners who are native to this area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. It, it also, like, I, I don't know what. The, where was this going? Like, when he keeps like getting convinced to stay another night, like it doesn't result in anything. I know. I, what were i don't know what the thought process there was it's just like one of those dreams you have where you're trying to get to work and you just can't get there somehow
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know if it's supposed to be like a message of like hospitality like i don't
0: yeah there's really it It doesn't end anywhere it doesn't lead anywhere
1: yeah Billy leave the town make their way to Gibeah. they're trying to find a place to stay but nobody is taking them in but also like i don't It's not clear what kind of attempt they're making to have a place to stay because it sounds like they're just kind of loitering in the city square waiting for someone to offer them a place, but no one does. So it gets pretty late at night, and then eventually a farmer comes along, and he's like, all right, why don't you stay at my place? So they uh, go to the farmer's house, having a grand time there, getting food washed up, and then some troublemakers from the city come around and... They we basically get the story from Lot again. So they yeah, come it's the up. Yeah, the Sodom
0: story all over yeah, again. Yeah,
1: they ask to have sex with the Levite man. The farmer is like, "That is like horribly wicked. Why don't you take my virgin daughter and the man's concubine? You can do whatever you want to them. Right? That would be so much better. Yeah, I mean, far this, less wicked.
0: <laughs> this one's so much worse because, boy uh, well, it's worse than the Sodom one because in the Sodom one. Like, you can at least see some of the thought process if they're, like, angels that, like, you're going to be punished if you let something happen to them, Mm -hmm. even though it's still terrible. Right. In this one, it's, like, it's better for something to happen to these two women
1: than to this this one man. man. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. Again, I don't know if they're trying to say something about, like, Levites are especially holy.
0: Yeah, I guess that could be, like, part of the, the thought there, but.
1: Anyways, this part sucks. Okay, so there's, like, sexual assault in this next part. So he offers up his his daughter and the concubine. They say no. And then it sounds like he ends up just throwing the concubine out to them. And then they rape her for the entire night until she dies. So she's like left at the door. And the next morning when the Levite man comes to open up the door, he finds her lying there. And he tells her to like, hey, like, get up. We're going now. And she obviously doesn't move. She's dead. So he puts her on the back of his horse, takes her back home to his place. Then he cuts her up into 12 different pieces and sends it all throughout Israel, I'm assuming, to like all the different tribes. And is basically like, hey, have you ever seen anything like this?
0: Yeah. It's a wholesome Bible story for your kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, like the, the chopping up in 12 pieces is just like meant to be symbolism for like the 12 tribes in some way but it, like it's obviously ridiculous that somebody's just going to get a half of a leg in the mail and be like or half of a leg delivered to them from someone and and just be like oh my god i know exactly what happened
1: it, <laughs> yeah exa- that's what's so weird about it is it's just like it's like the message is literally i like i'm paraphrasing but it is something like hey have you ever seen anything like this since we left egypt or whatever yeah. It's like, yeah, no, I've never received a fucking hand in the mail before. Like, this is new to me,
0: right? And that's another thing that's interesting with judges is the, I guess, the intertribal tribal relationships. There's a lot more of like pointing out the the supposed sins of the of, of different tribes, mm-hmm. right? We, with the exception of Judah, right now, Judah pretty clearly has not been. I mean, has not been attacked by any of these, right? And Judah tends to be a hero in almost all of them, mm-hmm. but they're, I mean, they, they've had stuff. Uh, the Danites one is questionable, mm-hmm. but they have the Benjaminites here and then the Ephraimites several times. They seem to be pointing things out about the Ephraimites. Yeah. Um, and, and you see that a lot more here than I think you've seen previously. Yeah. And it was more of a, especially in like the Yahwist telling and the Elohist telling it's a more united Israel and the, the meaning of the different tribes. There isn't much.
1: Yeah, so after everybody receives their body part, they all, like, meet up and, you know, ask, like, what the heck's going on? So then the Levite man gives them the whole story of, like, what happened. And so they're all united against the Benjamites in this, because, like, they're sort of like, all right, so they're in the wrong here. Like, that was their city. These men did wrong.
0: Yeah, well, they, they asked Benjamin as a an entire, like, tribe, To give up that one town. Yeah. Like the entire town. Okay. And then Benjamin says no. And Benjamin sends out their 26,000 armed men.
1: Yeah. So then they uh, have a whole battle scene. I skimmed it. Was there anything specific in there worth pointing out?
0: I mean, they noted that the Benjaminites had 700 left-handed men who can sling stones. Uh, I don't know why they felt the need to call that out specifically, but it's another one of those times where it's like a self own on the part of the writers mm-hmm. because Israel sends 400,000 men against this 20 army of 26,000. Mm-hmm. And then for the first few days, they're getting their asses whooped. Like it takes a whole yeah. bunch of things for them to actually get through this. Again, they send out Judah first. God, God selects Judah. We're setting Judah up as like the the center of these narratives. They also note that at this time, the tabernacle is in Bethel. So this is the first time we're, hearing in judges about kind of the centralized church. Yeah. And then, so they, they lose a bunch of men like three days in a row and then eventually they do an ambush and that's how they win. Right. So again, Mm -hmm. they're like, they outnumber their opponent and then have to ambush them. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So then they don't, they don't completely wipe them out because they're still, you know, like a tribe of Israel, but then they all swear that they're not going to allow their daughters to marry into this tribe. But then they're left with this problem because they don't want this tribe to die out because it's like still a tribe of God. So they attack some other town and they steal virgins for them, but it's not enough.
0: Yeah, well, the and the town they they attack is specifically one that had not helped them in this battle, and then they they slaughter all the men and women that are not unless it's a virgin woman.
1: But they don't get enough women out of that, so then they resort to kidnapping. So they there's like uh festival at Shiloh where virgin women come out dancing. I don't know if this is supposed to be related to the you know what I'm talking about, the one where he like promises to God that he'll sacrifice. So I don't know if that's supposed to be related to that or not, or if it's a separate uh virgin dancing festival. But huh. yeah, so basically then they go um there and they kidnap more women.
0: Yeah. And when the the, the people who get their kids who get, who have their daughters kidnapped get angry about it, they're basically like no, no. Th- I mean, th- this is like a great scenario because, right? You don't have to break your oath, and like, we can provide them with the women, and y- you don't have to incur any guilt here. So, <laughs> yeah,
1: you didn't willingly give your daughter. <laughs> You're all trying to get rid of your daughters. We all know that.
0: It's like, yeah. So one of those. If you follow the thread from the beginning, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. Because like,
1: they're all doing this to themselves. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they
0: they like essentially. I don't want to say they overreact because like it was pretty gruesome. What supposedly happens here Mm -hmm. but they kill an entire town and attack benjamin Mm -hmm. like the entire tribe over that single event yeah and then they swear an oath to like make benjamin extinct and then now they regret this oath that they made it's like well, that's on you you swore it Mm -hmm. like and so now they have to like kill one town because they didn't want to participate in this slaughter right and so they slaughter them and then they go and start kidnapping girls because there's not enough. It's like, well, I mean, if you were trying to punish Benjamin in the first place, is it not okay for them to have an inadequate number of women? Like, they're not going to go extinct. They're just going to not have as many women as they want.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> so and they're like, no,
1: we got to get one for all of them. Yeah, well,
0: at least, I mean, at least one, right? Right. <laughs> got to have, like, a few for the lords of Benjamin.
1: Yeah, ultimately... Judges has me wondering again, like, why any women are Christian.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, Judges is uh, interesting because I, I think until we read this, I didn't know a lot of the stories from Judges. Just the Samson and Delilah one, because I think that's the only one that they're able to pull a simple Christian theme from. Mm-hmm. By just kind of, like, making Delilah a villain for being non-Jewish and not being married yeah but there are a lot of stories in judges that don't make a lot of sense and don't seem to go anywhere which is probably why we don't hear much about it because it just doesn't get referenced in a lot of places because it doesn't have a lot of meaning in the larger scope of the old testament yeah that's all we have for this week and next time we'll be picking up with ruth bye all <laughs> bye